This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, I'm Philip C and this is The Breakfast Grill. Now, the Unity Government has made a bold claim that it has not been implicated in any corrupt practices in the one year it has been running the country. If it is true, good news for that, as we have been mired in revelation after revelation of billions of dollars falling into the wrong hands from the 1MDB scandal to the literal combat ship saga. Now, the government has, however, under the Madani government framework, pledged under medium-term targets to improve Malaysia's position in the corruption perception index to top 25. So the multi-million dollar question is how do we move from 62, 61st place to that position? And we have with us in the studio President of Transparency International Malaysia, Dr. Mohamed Mohan, for some suggestions. Thanks for being on the show again. Yeah, thank you very much. It's nice to be in your show. As we were saying, right, one year in this government, aside from Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim claiming that his government is corruption-free, what do you make so far of his attempts to rid this country of graft? Is he a one-man show? Okay, thank you. Um, okay, first of all, uh, we just need to go back a little bit to how he started in November last year and um, the circumstance that he came into power as a unity government. And really, it's not in a true sense unity government because unity government means uh, no opposition. But in our case, we do have opposition. So anyway, he came up with this Madani framework and corruption has been in uh, one of his top agenda. And recently, of course, he said that he wanted to see Malaysia in the next 10 years to climb up the ranking in the Corruption Perception Index to 25. Right now, we are at the rank of 61 globally out mm. of 180 countries. Now, uh, many are quite sceptical whether this is possible, including those from the enforcement unit. They are very concerned whether this is achievable or not. But the end of the day, it is at the government's uh, court. Because the Corruption Perception Index is not about just measuring the number of people we arrest and how many are convicted. That's only one dimension to the whole CPI measure. The CPI is a very holistic measure. It also measures the government's commitment for reforms. And it also measures the prosecution of corrupt officials. It also measures for freedom of information, human rights, and, and many other factors come into play. So legislative reform, institutional reforms, these are things that the government need to uh, demonstrate to do that. Now, I would say that given the fact that one year the government has been in power under the leadership of the Prime Minister and he keeps repeating about fighting corruption, uh, good governance, accountability and so on. I would say that the one year has been, I would say, reasonable uh, effort has been put mm. in uh, to do, uh, to fight against corruption and so on. So I think in, in 10 years' time, as he has, has his vision to get Malaysia up to the top 25, which will require... Malaysia score from 47 to jump up to about 68. That's about 21 points up, you know, which means that on an average in the next uh, every year, we should go up by two points and we cannot afford to slack. Now, I know, but the Prime Minister may be very, may have the conviction. I'm not sure whether his colleagues have that same passion and interest to do that, right? I mean, classic case is that recent discharge now amounting to an acquittal with Deputy Prime Minister Dato Sri Zaid Hamidi. Do you think he really is just driving this all by himself? 
Well, it appears to be certainly that way. I mean, uh, as a leader himself, he's driving it. But it is really up, uh, up to his leadership, how he's going to get his whole team and the whole country to uh, be behind him to reform. Now, one of the uh, main issue that, uh, just like what you brought up, the discharge not amounting to acquittal of a senior politician, who is in his cabinet now on 47 charges, is certainly a setback. It will give a negative perception uh, because the CPI is all about perception mm. and it's going to give a negative perception. I'm not predicting that the score for 2023, which will be released in 30th January 2024, will reflect this. I'm not too sure because the announcement by the AG for to withdraw this case on the 4th of September and normally around September, the scores for the 2023 will be wrapped up. So I'm not too sure whether this will be captured inside, but certainly if not captured, it will reflect in the coming year. And you make a very interesting point about the score. Yeah, the government has made a pledge to be top 25, but there's a big distinction, right, between the ranking and the score. And I wonder out loud whether or not we're actually setting the wrong target, whether actually it's moot to be top 25 because rankings are relative, but it's more important to get the score right, isn't it? Because if you look at last year, our ranking improved, but our score deteriorated. You're absolutely right. The ranking is actually a sort of a comparison between other countries. And even for us, uh, Transparency International, whenever we make this announcement, we clearly announce it that please look at the scores relative to the previous year, because that will give a reflection of your country's progress or it has deteriorated and so on. But the main reason why I believe the Prime Minister still uses rank is because easier for the normal people, layman, to understand, to understand that, mm. you know, uh, globally, where am I? Am I number top 10 or top 5 or something like that? But as I mentioned already, that uh, from 47, we need to move up to 68 points. Now, that is a challenging target which means that every year you got to go up by two points and you cannot afford to go down. If you do go down, then you got to compensate back in the following year. Now, to do that, as I said earlier, that I think is a collective action that the government, machinery, especially the civil servants, you know, they have a very big role to play. I mean, ministers is one thing. Now, the prime minister announced yesterday that in the media that he's very proud that in the one year uh, under the Madani government, uh, there has been no uh, uh, implication of any of his uh, cabinet or uh, his government, members of his cabinet and his government have been implicated in any corruption case and so on. But don't forget, there is systemic corruption happening at a lower level, including the at the civil service and so on. Yes. And the CPI is actually measuring corruption at the public sector. And public sector here means if you have lots of corruption happening in agencies and leakages and wastages of public funds, that is going to reflect negatively on the CPI. Well, let's just talk about weak leakages and wastages in the public fund. And every year, we have this AG report highlighting, you know, systemic governance failures. And the frustration here really in Malaysia is that we have all the institutions, we have wonderful reports, but we don't see the enforcement happening, right? And we don't seem to have learned the lessons from all the findings that come out from the reports. Okay. All right. So you mentioned a key word here, enforcement. Now, when you say enforcement against corruption, many will think that what is MACC is doing? I'm not here to defend MACC, but I just want to put the record straight. MACC, the way they operate is they need information or complain, and then they will investigate. If they have sufficient evidence, they will channel it to the AG's chambers. They will look at it, and if there, there is sufficient evidence, 
they will take charges against the particular person. But the issue is not only MACC. The men- issue you mentioned on the attorney, uh, Auditor General's report that comes out. Now, the recent report came shows that 682 million ringgit was gone, uh, wasted. You know, and uh, if you look back at the previous year's report, practically every year when the Auditor General's report comes out, we lose about a billion. A billion, you know. This is public fund, taxpayers' money. Uh, what are we doing? I mean, common sense will tell us something is wrong in the public service, whereby we have the civil servants who are supposed to take care of this uh, expenditure and funds and so on. The LCS case is a classic example. You have a project which has already delayed for almost three, four, five years. Out of six ships, not a single ship came. And today the cost has ballooned from nine billion to eleven billion. My question is, what were the civil servants doing? What were the secretary generals or the KSUs in the various ministries or agencies were doing? They have what we call fiduciary duties. When you talk about fiduciary duties, in the private sector, as we all know, if you fail and such kind of colossal losses... Uh, you lose your job and probably even uh, you may be sued for failing in your fiduciary duties. But what about the public sector? Why is this not happening? How many civil servants have we heard has been fired for not failing in their duties and so on? We hardly hear of that. So I think the whole radical changes, I think this is where the Madani government has to look at it. I mean, after this first one year, have to really look at how the uh, administration of the civil service uh, is going to be done. And of course, good employees uh, who are performance, we have to reward them. You know, not necessary to follow the scale of uh, the current structure in the public service uh, department. I mean, if they have excellent performers, uh, you know, high level of integrity and they perform, mm. reward them. But what about those uh, who are not performing, you know, and uh, failing in their fiduciary duties? Why is punishment not meted out to them? Can we focus on the governance then of all these public sector institutions and beyond that as well? I mean, I think that there's been a lot of scrutiny about the appointment of, you know, politicians, of non-professionals to run these bodies, right? Does this also result in this lack of awareness of fiduciary duties of civil servants then? Okay. Um, on the point of appointing politicians hate some of the GLCs. The Transparency International Malaysia, together with other civil society, we have repeatedly given uh, given inputs to the government. Not only this government, the previous government, even during Tun Mahathir's time when they were formulating the national anti-corruption policy plan, we have repeatedly said that please remove this clause in the NACP not to allow. But at that time, for some reason, they put it in. And the argument many politicians put forward, if the politician is qualified, why not give him an opportunity to be in the GLC? My point to these politicians is, if you are so good, why do you need to be a politician? Come and join the private sector. You can get double your salary of what you are getting and you will enjoy working in the private sector. Today, Malaysia, we are in 2023. We have enough professionals available and they can actually uh, uh, run this show. So I think we have to have that, uh, number one. Number two is civil servants, particularly, you know, it should be performance-based. When you mm. slack like this and you lose taxpayers' money, I think you've got to answer for it. You can't just get away scot-free. On The Breakfast Grill today, in conjunction with International Anti-Corruption Day that falls on Saturday, we speak to Dr. Mohamed Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia. After the break, the consequences of ignoring corruption in Malaysia Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill 
Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. And with me in the studio is Dr. Mohamed Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia, in conjunction with International Anti-Corruption Day that takes place tomorrow. You know, we had a conversation earlier on about MACC and how it's very important that actually we shouldn't just entirely focus on MACC, but the whole civil servant and civil sector uh, push, right? But if we can just, you know, just deep dive a bit in MACC, right? What else needs to be reformed there? Okay, when you look at the MACC, in fact, civil societies, including us, we have recommended in the past, and we are still pushing for it, for reforming the MACC. Now, what we are saying is, especially the uh, the current MACC Act need to be amended. Number one is to the appointment of the chief commissioner of the MACC. Currently, the selection of the MACC commissioner is done by the prime minister. He recommends to the young Dipatuan Agong, and the Agong appoints him. You know, and normally in most cases, this goes straight forward. But what we are saying is when a prime, uh, the government changes, when a new prime minister comes in, although the Anna Ibrahim's administration did not do that, uh, but if you look at the past two uh, prime ministers, Tun and Tantri Muhyiddin, when they came into power, they appointed new chief commissioners and so on. So uh, this is one area that we want to give leeway in a sense that don't let the prime minister be the one to select the mm. uh, chief commissioner. That's number one. Number two, you must give him a secure tenure of office just like the judges and so on, you know. So to remove a, a chief commissioner, and they has to probably go through a tribunal or something like that, so that uh, they have a fixed term. And they should not be uh, reporting to the uh, prime minister. So because the selection is done from by the prime minister, uh, chief commissioners are very likely under some kind of pressure, although yeah, they claim they don't have. Pressure. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I think that is a challenge. And uh, so civil societies, we are still pursuing Pursuing this, we have recommended uh, several proposals, including uh, having a parliamentary special select committee uh, to identify suitable candidates. Maybe even the public can apply, you know, and then the, it will be approved by parliament and it goes straight to Yang Dipertuan Agong. So without the prime minister getting involved in this. So these are one of the reforms. At the same time, under these uh, reforms, uh, the MACC needs a separate funding. You know, currently the funding uh, is allocated during the budget, you know, through the prime minister's office and so on. So I think they need a separate funding to do that. The whole idea in a, in a very simple way is to make the MACC more independent and so that they can push. They want to investigate any high profile cases. There is no interference. Can I just say, listening to your recommendations, they don't sound incredibly difficult. Mm. And you have a government with a very clear majority. You've got a prime minister with deep convictions to do this. Why is it that there's no action taken on these simple recommendations? They don't sound like rocket science yes. to me. Yes. In fact, the uh, civil society groups, they, we in the proposal, we, we were mindful. We didn't want to go to the level of uh, amending. If I had mentioned just now about probably going through a tribunal and all that, that may be a little bit complicated because it might involve amending the constitution. You know, So some of the proposals that we have put in will only require amending the current MACC Act. You know, so so this is still work in progress, but 
the back to your point that why is it so difficult? Actually, we have many more other legislative changes that are still uh, pending, you know. So this is something that I think the public need to understand. Legislative changes are not so straightforward. It has to go through several uh, stages of discussion, consultation, and drafting, and then it goes to the AG's chambers, and then the cabinet has to approve before a bill can be tabled in, in parliament. So it is. this is a quite a lengthy process, but I think... The civil society will continue to pursue this and to make the uh, changes for the uh, to reform the MACC. But this is the challenge in the sense that I think the public, of course, uh, you know, you know, hate and want to reject corruption at its fullest. But because we don't see that pace and momentum of transformation, the concern is that public are going to take a laissez-faire approach. They're just going to be a theater upper. This is part and parcel of Malaysian culture, right? So there has to be that urgency, isn't it? Because if not, it just gets embedded and seeped in and we all take it for granted that this is just the way of life. Yes, you are, you are right in a sense. So it has to go in tandem, in parallel, I would say. That while we are talking about MACC, reforming and making it uh, more independent and so on, this is just only one part of it. If you really look at, uh, and Prime Minister, I think he's very fully aware of this. That's why if you if you track back his, his speeches, wherever he goes, he always talks about corruption is so systemic, not only at the top, at the middle, at the bottom and everywhere. So I think in, in my view, one is the amending MACC Act to make MACC more independent, more strong and, and to pursue cases. But at the same time, I think the other part of it where general public and also the civil service and all, because corruption is not about uh, at the, at the point of arresting people or pressing charges against them. This is also happening on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And what are the head of units doing? Like in the private sector, I come from the private sector. When these things happen, very rarely they report to the MACC for reputational reasons, for you know, for fear of uh, other consequences and so on. So typically what they do is they either fire the person uh, in the job or, uh, you know, force him to leave the job. But in the civil service, uh, many stay on and some of these corruption cases may not be reported to MECC. So this is where it is going to be a collective action. It is not a, the prime minister alone. He being a leader, he has given us direction. He's put the pathway. Uh, but I think it has to be a collective action. Everybody, the civil service, uh, private sector, civil societies, all of us have to work together uh, to make this change if we really want to hit mm. the target of hitting the rank of 25. And next year, of course, the launch of the National Anti-Corruption Strategy, five-year, 2024 to 2029, um, based on the track record of the NACP 2019 to 2023, appalling record, only 62% completion of the 115 initiatives. How do we make sure this next blueprint is much better than the current one? Okay, interesting point that you are making here. Uh, but if I may have that figure, it could be slightly different. You mentioned 62%. Mm. The figure was given to me by MACC was uh, 67%. Perhaps still from, not great. A, still, yeah, absolutely, you're right. Still, not still nothing great yeah. because you should have completed 100% by this yeah. thing. But to be fair mm. to them, there were several initiatives inside. They cannot implement without legislative changes, especially constitutional amendments. A good mm. example I give you is separation of power between the attorney general and the public prosecutor. This requires amendment to the constitution. So some of this could not have been done, but there is no excuse 
for only hitting 67%. So coming to the uh, new strategic plan that is the National Anti-Corruption Strategic Plan for 2024 onwards for the next five years, what we would recommend, and we have already recommended this the past three years, every year when the CPI results come out, this is one item that we always will highlight. Unfortunately, all the governments, and even so far this government has not been listening. The point that we said is the plan is beautiful. Where is the champion for this? You need a champion to drive. I don't expect the prime minister to be the champion of all this thing. He got a bigger responsibility. That's he right. has to run the country. The recommendation we made was the chief secretary to the government to champion this. Now, if the chief secretary to government is the champion, this automatically it will be in his KPI and automatically all the KSUs, meaning the secretary generals of the various agency ministries, it will be in their KPI and they got to get it, get it executed. If it is not done, I'm sorry, just haven't achieved your KPI. That was not done. This is something that we have recommended for the past three years. And so far, nothing done. We hope that in the coming year onwards, um, the Prime Minister can intervene and put this as part of the Chief Secretary of the Government or the KSN to take charge of this and be a champion to make sure this national anti-corruption strategy is fully implemented. And I hope we see this progress as the next report will come out in January next year, right? And hopefully we see an improvement in not only the ranking but the score, because that's really critical. But on that note, thank you for your time today. On The Breakfast Grill this morning, in conjunction with International Anti-Corruption Day that falls this Saturday, we speak to Dr. Mohamed Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia. I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.